Our first scripture passage is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 23, read from the English Standard Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The word of the Lord. morning. It's a very quiet, kind, cute room exiting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for children and that you call them to yourself. And in the grand scheme of eternity, we are all little kids and we need the reminder and the guidance and the love of our father and of your son to help us know what it means to know you and to love you. Thank you for the privilege of this book of Ephesians. It's been guarded and handed down to us for thousands of years. We'd like to understand it, and we'd like to respond to it and live worthy of those who've handed it to us. So guide us this morning as we look at these words of Paul. In your name, amen. Amen. My name is Dean Miller, and I've been here so much now that Johnny looks at me and says, I'm not going to introduce you. So I'm old, I'm old hand, old news, old shoes, old paper, something. But I am really glad to be here um, and uh, really thankful for a chance to look at this last bit of Ephesians. This is a great Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is a great Sunday to look at the last book and the, uh, the last chapter of this book. So if you have a Bible and can turn to Ephesians 6, that'd be great. If not, I'll be referring to what you just heard read. Um, as you turn or look at prepare a book of Ephesians to look at maybe, think about this. Okay, think about tomorrow and the day you're heading into. What will you wear tomorrow? What are you going to wear? Some of you have already decided three days ago what you're going to wear tomorrow. Head to toe, accessorize, the whole thing. Some of you are like, oh, I should, I should wear clothes tomorrow. I should probably think about that. Think about whatever you're going to do tomorrow and how it's going to sync up. Your clothes are going to sync up with your tasks for tomorrow. Like how many of you are going to wear a suit tomorrow. Raise your hand if you're going to wear some kind of suit or nice dress to work tomorrow, okay? How many are you going to wear jeans to work? 
tomorrow. Right, your, your rector, jeans to work tomorrow. How many of you are going to school tomorrow? Raise your hand, going to school. And how many of you wear a suit to school? Nobody. How many of you wear sweats probably to school? How many of you at least brush your hair, brush your teeth going to school? Not enough of you raised your hand on that question. Is anybody who's going to work, let's say, downtown, going on the metro or driving in, anybody going downtown going to wear a swimsuit to work tomorrow? No. Right? Because what you wear, what you put on is going to is going to sync up with the task for the day, right? You're not going to wear a swimsuit to work on the hill. None of you are probably going to wear a swimsuit to work anywhere tomorrow, is my guess. What you wear is going to be appropriate for your day. And as we finish this book of Ephesians, Paul is going to remind us of what we need to put on, what's appropriate for us to wear as we head into the day that we've been given. Again, I just want to thank you for walking alongside our church with this. Um, this, this Sunday is the one-year anniversary of me going to be the rector of Church of the Ascension. And we have walked through a several series with you all now. And, and our particular church, in some strange and unique ways, has been a little bit of, of the alone stepchild in Northern Virginia. We, um, we were planted by our, our father and mother churches are really in the district and connected to the Church of Rwanda. And out here in Northern Virginia, most of the church plants have been connected to the false church in Nigeria. My wife and I strangely straddle both those worlds, so it's one of the reasons we felt called to go. But it has really meant something subtly and powerfully to walk alongside you all in a series. It's, you could feel them like, well, we do this with Vienna. So thank you so much. Some of them have come to worship with you just to see. So it is no small thing to, that we get to do this with you. So thank you so much. Just a reminder where we've come from. You know, we have, as Johnny said, we spent several weeks this fall blitzing through a book we could spend years on. And it's been a grand journey. We've seen God's plan through creation. These verses that we read as part of the creed. You know, Paul is casting a vision for what God intended to do for you and for me since before the dawn of time. He's going to save humanity by sending his son Jesus to die and then be raised to the throne of heaven. To rule over heaven and earth. Every power, every authority under Jesus' feet. And then he's going to raise us too. That's all Paul's talking about, that little thing, this grand master plan. He's going to create a new people, us, to love his world, that's our job, to live as Jesus did and to bring a revolution, to look like heaven, this new ethnicity. That's the phrase from a couple weeks ago, chapters three and four. You and I are to be a new ethnicity, to look like heaven, to live the mystery is another way Paul says it, to point to God. And remember, we're supposed to be marked by certain things. We're supposed to be marked by unity. And diversity and purity and harmony. And last week we looked, you're supposed to be marked by submission and love in your relationships. The core relations we're all in of family and marriage and work. You and I are different people. That's kind of where we've come from. This is who you are now, who we are. Remember, you used to be far from God and now you're near to God. You used to be dead to sin and because of sin and now you're alive. You used to barely, remember, dead things can't walk, and now you've been exhorted for the last set of weeks to walk in a manner worthy of who you are. Walk, 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 walk in a manner worthy. And so now Paul's closing. He's closing this grand book, this book written in prison in Rome. He's in his 60s, predictably. He is at the back end of his ministry life. This is kind of a full cast of his theological vision and his passion 
for you and me. Remember, his deepest passion in this book is that you and I would know just how much God loves us. Wide, high, long, deep. That is the most important thing that Paul wants. It's the most important thing I want for my church and for my family. It's the most important thing Johnny wants for you and for his family. It's the most important thing. So how does Paul close? I just want to highlight four things he does here. First, Paul reminds us that we are in a battle. We're in a war. These very familiar verses for many of us about putting on the armor of God. Eugene Peterson says, Paul reminds us that the the field of battle is not uncontested. John Stott says, beneath the surface of our lives, the lives we just lived this morning, driving here, getting coffee, getting donuts, getting up. Beneath the surface, there's an unseen spiritual battle raging. There is a spiritual battle raging that we are a part of. It's raging in your heart and my heart. It's raging raging in your neighborhood and my neighborhood, your city and my city, your country and other countries that we've seen, especially in Europe in the last 10 days. There is a spiritual battle, darkness and light, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, and the devil. Paul has mentioned this opposition two other times, chapter two and chapter four in the book, but he is not obsessed about it. Remember, six chapters of this book and three brief mentions of this opposition. So Paul's not anxious and afraid, but he is desirous that we are not stupid about what is happening. He focuses on, yes, there's a devil. And I think particularly in Ephesus, they didn't need to really be reminded of this. If you remember way back when we started, many of you probably read Acts 19, which is the, the narrative part of what Paul's life in Ephesus had been about eight years before this letter was written. And in that, you hear about demonic and spiritual opposition. You hear about these Jewish evangelists trying to cast out spirits in the name of Jesus. And this, this demon says, well, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. Remember, he, the, the demon thrashes. And these men l- run naked out of a building. I mean, that, that will, at a minimum, video, whether it preaches or not, I don't know. But, but picture people trying to cast things out and fleeing naked out of a building. Remember, the church in Ephesus brought all these um, books about magic and about fortune-telling and the promises of their future and astrology, and they burned 50,000 days of wages as a church because of their conversion to Jesus. This church understands there is a battle, but Paul is still reminding them that there is a spiritual battle going on. And he says the devil has help. This list here is pretty extensive. Rulers and authorities and cosmic powers spiritual forces of evil, all these things that you and I don't really see. So he's saying, make no mistake, there is someone who opposes us, us, who is out for your and my destruction. But then again, Paul is not afraid. He's not obsessed by this. It's a very small portion of this whole letter. And what he does then is he lets us know strategically how we can fight the devil. What, What can happen? How does the devil work? He helps us understand how the devil opposes you and me. And this is why it's so important to continually go back to the first half of the book and just what God has done for you and me, just how different you and I are, just what it means to go from death to life. Because what the devil spends his energy on, what he wants to do is to counter and deny and thwart what Paul has been describing and guiding us to do and be in the whole first part of the book. If you understand the first part of the book, you can go, well, this is what the devil wants to fight. 
He wants to sow lies and and devastating actions that will lead to death. He wants to sow lies that say things like this. Well, God certainly doesn't have a plan. And God certainly didn't have a son who came to die on earth. There's no such thing as Jesus being a divine being dying. The devil says, wants you to think you're not near to God. You're still far. The devil wants you not to believe that you're God's masterpiece. Chapter 2, verse 10. The devil doesn't want you to think you're alive. He wants to think you're dead. The devil doesn't want us to live as any new ethnicity. What the devil wants us to believe is that there's only enmity between people. Again, use that filter and pray through the front page tomorrow. Ask yourself, what is happening in the spiritual world, in the headlines you'll see tomorrow, in the pictures you'll see? No new ethnicity, no new church, no new kingdom of Jesus, but only enmity. No unity and no diversity. It's too hard. No such thing. Group up with the people like you and hate the people not like you. It's easier. Use your speech. Use your anger. Use your body to get what you want. However you want. With whomever you want. Tell your own story. It's all your story. The devil wants to lie and make us think there is no devil, seen or unseen, no dark powers. And he surely wants you to think that God could not love you high and wide and long and deep. So Paul reminds us there is a battle, an opposition to those things. Then what? Then what's his his countermeasure in this battle? Secondly, We need to remember that Paul reminds us that we have armor. We don't need to fear. We can stand strong in this battle. The word here in the Greek is panoply. It's where we get the word panoply from, which is this description used for all the Roman armor, head to toe, helmet to to, um, spiked boots that Roman soldiers wore and marched in. If you've seen a picture of a Roman soldier, they had a lot of armor that protected them all over. What Paul is saying twice is put on God's armor. Oh, and then by the way, Put on God's armor. Put on God's panoply. All centered on the work of God and digesting again the work of God that he's already annotated in the book up to now. When it's hard, we return again and again to the plans and work that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done, are doing, and will do on behalf of you and me. And again, this is coming from someone who has walked with God for 30 plus years and knows of which he speaks. Paul had to do this. It's a great story of Martin Luther being tempted to despair and him reciting over and over again, I've been baptized, I've been baptized, I've been baptized. Our forefathers and foremothers had to review, to put on that armor, to walk in truth and righteousness and peace and strength and courage. They didn't cower, they didn't huddle up, they didn't hide under a table. It was not what they're made for. We say to the devil, I have been saved from sin's penalty. I am being saved from sin's power. And one day, I will be saved forever from sin's presence. We say to him, I'm alive with Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm reconciled. Notice the past tense of these verses. I'm raised with Christ. I'm seated with Christ right now. Again, I'd encourage you to go back, read through the first few chapters. That is, in fact, if you are here and you've given your life to Jesus, that is, in fact, you. 
That's the armor you're wearing as you walk into this morning. It reminds you what team you're on. Picture the football draft. Jesus is drafting and he says, I draft Christina. I draft Sarah. I draft Rob. My team, forever. Can't be traded, no free agency, no injured reserve, nothing. No salary cap. Terry MCL, still on God's team. Paul is reminding you, put on the armor of God and you are safe. Because of who drafted you. It's not relying on you. You didn't make the armor. You're putting it on. It's been handed to you. You are not in opposition to God. Again, you're on God's team now. Which is not something the devil wants you to believe. You're not in opposition. You're actually a friend. A treasured inner person masterpiece with God in heaven. Rooted in relationship. And you live that out in prayer. This exhortation from Paul. To pray. To pray. To pray. To live in intimacy with God near to God and alive to God. What is prayer? It's living near to God and alive to God. Be sober, be aware, there is a battle. As long as you and I are on this earth, it will be a lifelong battle. It will not be easy. Be on your guard. Be strong. Why does Paul want us to know this, these things, to be reminded of these things in his last few lines to us is because he wants you and I to be strong, not just to survive, but to thrive. If you remember in chapter one, verse 19, there were these three descriptions of what had happened in Jesus, of power, boom, boom, boom. My favorite word of this whole book is hyperbolo. It's this description of the gospel, what happened when God and Jesus, hyperbolo megatos, the superpower. What I said to our church was that should be the next villain the next Avengers movie, Hyperbolo Megatos. Paul is stressing that again. If you look at verse 10, he's saying, finally be strong and in the strength of his might. He's doing the same thing in 6.10 that he did in 119. He's using those same words of strength three times. Be strong. Be strong. When you go out tomorrow, whatever you're wearing, you are strong. In what? In the strength of Jesus. Strong because you feel that way. Strong because your marriage is going great. Strong because your kids always obey. Strong because you have enough money. Strong because your car is working. No. Be strong in the strength of Jesus. Three times in chapter one. Here he's wrapping up. Three more times. The same power, the same strength that was there to raise Jesus from the dead goes with you. Your first round pick. Because of what Jesus has done for you. And then stand, verses 13 and 14. Notice what he's trying to stress. Take up the whole armor of God. Why? So you can stay in your house safely in Vienna and just pray and hope nobody knocks on your door that might need Jesus. No, take up the whole armor of God so everyone believes in you and nobody disagrees with you theologically about anything that we believe as Christians. Stand strong, because put the armor of God on because the, the issues in the world are so easy. ISIS is so easy to figure out. And the world economy is so easy to figure out. And poverty is so easy to figure out. No, put on the armor of God so you can stand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Twice. Verse 14, stand therefore. You're a, bat, you're a warrior. What kind of warrior you want to be? Huddled up. Lots of us will watch football today. What if, if at the hike of the ball, all the D-line went, oh, I don't care. 
What's he saying to you? Stand. Stand if you're in middle school in this city. Stand if you go to this high school. Stand if you work on the hill. Stand if you're a parent with kids. Stand if you're single here. Stand, stand, stand. So that you may shine for the Lord's glory in the evil day. Because it is still an evil day. So we're in a battle. Then you've been given all you need to stand strong. And then thirdly, Paul reminds us that we all need prayer from other people to stand. You cannot make it on your own. You are not in the battle on your own. You're not in God's army by yourself. It's not just you and God. You need help putting on the armor. This is a lifelong commitment as well. Even Paul here, even Paul at the end of his life is asking for prayer. Isn't that both encouraging and countercultural in Washington, D.C.? You cannot make it on your own. You don't have enough power to make it on your own. We need community to know God and know ourselves because we're created in the image of the Trinity. We need community to stand and be strong, to remind us that we belong to the King. On Christ the King Sunday, you need people to pray for you. It's like, it's, until we all figured out that CrossFit was better for us, lots of us probably used to bench weight. Some of us may still, right? And you knew, the, you, what did they tell you when you learned how to bench? Never bench what? Alone. Because of all the, the stories of guys benching too much and then what happens to the rack? Clack, 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 right? And if you've benched enough, you've gotten to that point where you thought, ooh, I'm dying. And if there's a good thing, there's a guy spotting you. You're on God's team. You need someone to spot you. It's like the old joke, you know, how many bodybuilders does it take to change a light bulb? Three, right? One to change the bulb and two to go, you're looking huge, you're looking huge. (laughs) You need people to remind you that in the Lord, you are hyperbolo huge. Not because of you, but because of the cross. You are hyperbolo megatos. Walking out into the world. But sometimes you forget. That's why you're here every week. Because you need to be reminded and you need people to pray for you. How willing are you to ask for help? How willing and demonstrative is this community of saying we will pray for one another? It's a core commitment to us. If we are this new ethnicity, it has to be a core commitment. And what do you pray for? Look at what Paul's praying for here. He's praying for bravery and clarity when he has a chance to speak. Bravery and clarity. Any of you ever feel like you need help in those two areas. Lord, give me bravery and clarity when I have a chance to speak. Notice he's not saying, Lord, give, please pray for me that God will give me strength so that my life and the way I live will be a demonstrated way and that someone will ask me, why is it that you live that way? As important as that is, the word gospel, and you are a gospel-driven, extended family in Vienna, Virginia, Stitched into the Greek meaning of the word gospel is it's proclaimed. It's spoken. You got to talk about it. None of us who love, and we all love the word gospel. If we love it, we got to speak it. And what Paul is asking for is, Lord, give me bravery and clarity. Many of you will be this week with people in your family for Thanksgiving where you might need bravery and clarity. And if Paul needed it, I mean, whew, isn't that encouraging? This is the guy who got stoned 
for being brave about it and who's been in prison because he was brave about it. If he needs it, then of course I need it and you need it. Battle, strength, prayer. And then lastly, very, very interesting, these last few verses. I'm so glad you read all the way through. Paul sends an encourager to Ephesus. An encourager. This man, Tychicus, verse 21. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. If you read through your New Testament, you see this guy pops up a lot. This is like the Forrest Gump of the New Testament. Acts 20, Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 3. There's a, there's a strong assumption that he took this, actually brought this letter to the Ephesian church and then brought Colossians to the Colossian church. This guy is encouraging, and Paul knows of encouragement, right? His first partner, Lone Ranger Tonto, Paul, Barnabas. And what was Barnabas about? Barnabas was the son of encouragement. So Paul has been around encouragement, and he's sending this to them. And this is what Paul has been doing the whole time, since the very first verses of this book. He's been telling them these encouraging things, reminding them of his love and God's love for them. And he's finishing off not only by encouraging them himself, grace and peace, but he's going to send the physical embodiment of encouragement to be with them. So two questions ring in my head when I read that this week. One, who are the Tychicuses in your life? Are there Tychicuses in your life? People who encourage you in the Lord. Have you thanked them? Do you like to be around people like that? But here's the more haunting question that hit me this week, and I trust it hits you as well. Let's say we're all with Paul in the cave in prison or in the house arrest he's under, and he is looking around. He's going to pick somebody to go, and Tychicus is there, and you're there, and I'm there, and he wants to send someone to encourage people in the Lord. Would Paul pick me? Would Paul pick you? Are you so known as someone who's going to bring the grace and peace he's describing into the world you live in that he would say, I actually want Sally to go. Tychicus, you stay. You encourage people all the time, blah, blah, blah. Encourage Rome. But I want Sally to go to Ephesus because she's so good at encouraging people and who they are in the Lord. Would Paul send you? Or would, if one of us went, what we would do is just be negative. Wish God would do more for me. Or envious, you know, God loves that person more. Or, you know, Ephesus, it's great, but you should hear what's happening in Philippi. Or would God say, no, I want you to go. Would you be considered a Tychicus at your work? or in your home, or in your family, living like someone Paul has described here in the first part of the book, this new ethnicity. Again, lots of us are gonna be with lots of people this week, particularly Thursday. I believe Paul is sending us all out to live like Tychicus in those places. What if you don't get to watch the game you wanna watch Thursday? Or what if they don't have the right kind of pie Thursday? Or you hate that kind of stuffing. Or have to sit next to your cousin. Or oh my gosh, my aunt kissed me again on the cheek. So slobbery. Or on and on and on and on. (laughs) Is that that the point? Or are you sent as a gospel-infused, hypervolumegatos, Tychicus, to go into that place and bring Jesus to that Thanksgiving setting? Are you about the kingdom and the gospel? In this letter we've read, 
or are you about yourself? Because in that place, what we know and believe is there is spiritual warfare happening. And you get a chance to bust it up. I want to close by doing something a little different. Because Paul prays for people. So we're going to take a minute. We're actually going to pray for each other. Okay? You're not going to have to touch anybody or stand up. What I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you very silently to pray for the person on your left. You may know them, you may not know them, but what we believe is God knows them, okay? And then I'll, you'll pray for them, what you know to pray or don't know to pray, and listen to the Lord, maybe he'll give you something to pray. If nothing else, you can pray, Lord, make this person a tichikis this week. And then I'm gonna pause, and then we'll pray for the person on our right, and then I'll close, okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is such a gift that we are not alone with you or with one another. And it is a miracle that you know all of us here and all the different burdens and joys we carry this morning. We thank you for Paul asking for prayer. Thank you for the reminder that we need it as well, that we don't make it on our own. So we do quietly, before you, offer up the men and women and children that are on our left. We thank you for them. We thank you for the ways you've made them. We thank you that you love them from their head to their toes and that you go with them this week and we offer up those weeks to you. May they know how you matter, how they matter to you. Lord, we thank you as well for the men, women, and children on our right. We thank you for their uniqueness. We thank you that you died for all of us. We thank you that you have raised us and that you've brought us near to you and made us alive. We pray that those men, women, and children would know how near they are to you this week. And Lord, we lift up this whole room, I do pray you would send us out with the energy and the reminder that we need not fear, that your panoply covers us from head to toe, that we can be Tychicus because we know our identities in you. We can bless, we can be vulnerable, we can stand. May your kingdom push back the darkness this week through us, we ask. In your holy, holy name, amen. God's compassion is my story, is my boasting all day. Mercy free and my will directs my way God so loved us God so loved us that is only sin
So 